Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 269, Heartwarming Gaming During the Plague Times. Presented by Rach Shelke and Jacqueline Brick. Welcome to the third annual Heartwarming Games panel at Metatopia. Uh, this year's topic is Heartwarming Gaming During the Plague Times. Uh, I'm Rach Shelke. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a podcast host with Plus One Fourth, podcast powered by the Apocalypse, as well as a writer for, I did some Kickstarter supplementary material for Golden Sky Stories. And I'm joined today by... Hello, I'm Jacqueline Grick, otherwise known as Jax, never Jackie, ever, ever. My pronouns are she, her, or fey, femme. Uh, I am a freelance writer, designer, editor, safety consultant, sensitivity writer. I do it all. It's super fun. I've worked with Onyx Path Publishing. I've worked with um, Helm Gast AB. I've worked with Ulysses Spele. Um, and I am really excited to be here on our third annual Heartwarming panel. And it's a weird special year for that. It's a weird special sure day. Even. Uh, we were initially approached to run this panel earlier in the convention when the votes were still coming in. And mm -hmm. I was unsure on that. And now we're in the aftermath of the votes coming in. And it's just a... I, so I'm based out of Canada. So I, the election does affect me, but not as directly. But it's definitely been a weird mood up here. Yeah, let's let's first toast to the end of our long international yes. Tuesday. Toast. <laughs> uh, let's remember that right now we're all going through a lot of decompression, and that's okay. Sometimes you need heartwarming stuff to get you through decompression, and that is why Rachel and I are here to talk about cute shit. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting year for cute shit. Um, we are going to probably freely curse on this panel as we normally do. And if we Jason, oh, if Jason also, is editing. <laughs> is Jason editing? Traditionally, this is where we go. Jason Pitt, you're super hot. Now don't bleep out any of our curses. Please don't bleep them out. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, so thinking about the context of the election and decompressing and talking about what cute games we've seen this year. It's been an interesting year for me. Uh, with Plus One Forward, I usually end up doing a lot of interviews of designers who are kickstarting games. And that hasn't really been at the same volume as it has been in years past because the pandemic has disrupted a lot of things. There's still stuff coming out. Um, Wander Home, uh, which is a belonging outside belonging game, uh, is the most notable one, which did very well on Kickstarter. Uh, I'm uh, interested in seeing where it goes. I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic came out this year, which was also very good? Yeah, I need a copy of that. The cover of it is so cool. It's so good. 
it, it feels kind of like microscope, except you're building specifically a city that is uh, home to, you know, people. And it's great. Uh, someone in chat mentions that Princess World kickstarted this year as well. Yes, that uh, definitely did. I have uh, think I interviewed Kevin. That was right before Dreamation, actually. Mm -hmm. I think I... I think I, this year is a blur that was right before the pandemic. And I remember getting hassled at crossing the border to go to Dreamation and got a bunch of weird questions. Yeah, um, super fun. Yes, this was also the same trip uh, to Dreamation where coming back into Canada, I had to assist a group of traveling magicians. No, that it was a group of traveling magicians. It was a great trip. So when are we returning that into a heartwarming game? Uh, as soon as we're done this panel. Okay, cool. I am so ready for the plucky Canadian and the travel, the lost traveling magicians. So let's think about the pandemic in terms of heartwarming games and heartwarming spaces, because this is not secretly medical panel part two, but it could be. Uh, it by could day, be. It could be my day job is in medicine. So a lot of the finding the peaceful spaces in the middle of the global chaos. Has, and I do protest medicine, so I'm always looking for a peaceful space in the middle of chaos. Uh, so I think our uh, personal experiences are going to uh, inform a lot about what we're going to talk about. Uh, Jax, what has been like, in terms of finding uh, creative inspiration that is heartwarming or uplifting, has really grabbed you going through, specifically focused on the pandemic? Oh, wow. Um... Okay, so there's a couple things. Um, one thing is so many of my friends have learned how to make sourdough bread or garden during this pandemic. Yes. And it's so wonderful. Like people have just started doing domestic witch stuff again and like taking care of their homes and baking bread and gardening and growing their own food and helping out with mutual aid groups, which is something I started doing during the pandemic is helping my local food, not bombs chapter, um, feed and clothe local houseless people. And that for me has probably been the single defining experience of this pandemic. And I talk a lot about mutual aid because I'm a huge fan of mutual aid. There's just something about being able to feed your fellow humans and doing so in a way that, you know, holds space for them and doesn't turn them into people who should be grateful that you fed them, you know? It's mm -hmm. not paternalistic at all. And it feels really good to be able to learn the name of people who come to the Food Not Bombs meals or stores every week and to know what they need and what they're looking for and what they want and, you know, who their friends are and who they're fighting with and all this other stuff. And I wouldn't get that if I hadn't been doing mutual aid, you know? No, I, I totally get that. I think the pandemic has really caused a lot of people to reconsider, like adjust what their expectations are for human connectivity and community. Because I think there's like a very strong idea floating around, at least in the RPG Twitter discourse, uh, the idea of the lack of socialization because we don't have shared physical spaces anymore. But I think if we turn that lens a little bit, you know, to the left or a little bit to the right, we're going to see where those new community spaces are forming. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, it's not the same if you're LARPing online or online LARPs aren't real LARPs or even ARGs don't count as games, which it's in the name, but this, what is, are not games? Jack's, Jack's, this is not the Jax complains about atomic definitions of games panel. Um, I like, no, it's, it's cool seeing how many people from different praxis of LARPs and different styles of LARPs have been coming together into these new online LARPs and really being able to shape the spaces for themselves. Mm-hmm. Have you been doing a lot of online LARPing? Ah, yes. Um, I've been running a lot of online games, I think. So I wrote a game before the pandemic called Faceless Saints, which is about moving through a haunted house, but the, it's not haunted by ghosts. Uh, it's haunted by saints, and each room is haunted by a saint who you can't look in the eyes, and they can ask, you can ask them questions, and they can give you answers, and after uh, the pandemic started, I wrote an online series of rules inspired by Will Jobs' uh, game, This Discord Has Ghosts in It, which I mm -hmm. strongly recommend, uh, because that is a multimedia discord game where the ghost investigators can only use voice and the ghosts themselves can only use text but also like pictures and sounds and stuff and the investigators have to go through the discord and find out how to lay the ghost to rest and that was such a cool idea because it uses uh the channels in the discord as a way of setting up new rooms and new spaces. And that is something I had not considered before. Uh, so Faceless Saints is a very similar sort of game, but instead of being a horror game, it's very numinous. And I wanted, what I really wanted to do with Faceless Saints was replicate the experience of being in prayer. So I'm very proud of that game. How about you? So I haven't been doing a lot of design work in my, this year. I've, the big thing for me is, so I work in healthcare, I work in outpatient pharmacy, specialized in transplant, uh, which Jax already knows, but just for anyone who's uh, new to the panel, that's uh, my yeah, background. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, which is, um, we, before the pandemic, had very strong relationships with our patients because we would get patients from across the country come to our outpatient clinic and then deal with us. And now we have people scattered across the country contacting us by phone and us having to manage the expectations for when a patient calls us because sometimes patients will just call you if they're scared or concerned, which is not bad, but it does tie up your phone lines. Uh, and having lots of really interesting experiences in terms of what is, uh, if you'll permit me to use the term, triggering for these people who are immunosuppressed, cannot leave their house, are trying to get by as best as they can. And there's things that will just uh, make their emotions shift in ways they don't expect in ways that you as a caregiver don't expect where you're like, oh, I brushed up against something that was sensitive. Now I have to deescalate the situation immediately. But I think that overall, like our relationship is still very strong with our patient base. The side effect of this is because I am constantly doing emotional support for these patients verbally at a higher degree of frequency. I've actually finding it very difficult to GM games right now. Yep. Mm -hmm. I've been playing a lot, but I, I was supposed to run uh, a, the plus one, there's the plus one forward home game, which is me and my co-host Rich and friends and partners of ours who go and play PBTA games online. 
I was supposed to run Thirsty Sword Lesbians, uh, which is oh. a very, it's so good. It's the fanfic game. It makes me I know, happy. but you didn't, you couldn't run it. I just stonewalled. I just could not do it. Uh, and so which resulted in us playing uh, initially Impulse Drive, but now uh, the sword, the crown, and the unspeakable power. So but, good. But with a very strong focus on what is going to emotionally pay out and make us feel good in these games that, especially in the context of SCUP, can be very loaded and very a little yeah. bit more emotionally dangerous. Very much. Our our scuff game is very wild. I was taunting uh, my partner Rob is currently the MC for that game. The last session involved a tiny little printing press in a glowing magical bubble. Uh, and I called him out on that. I'm like, you know, when you were starting to run scuff, did you imagine that this was going to happen? He said, no, this is a gritty, awful, violent game. Uh, in which Rachel's character is working to establish a newspaper. Uh, it's great. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, my my partner and I have been playing a lot of Apocalypse oh, World. But... Oh, man. Cut out, there. cut out there for a little bit. That's okay. My connection is a little bit burpy. Are we back? Yeah, we're back. Yeah, great. Uh, been playing a lot of Apocalypse World as well, but again, looking to... Again, like do things that make us feel good or engage parts of our brain. Oh, I'm not sure if you're locked up. You're just very still. <laughs> no, I'm good. I've had a lot of requests to write Golden Sky stories, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> um, you want to know a weird place where I found a heartwarming story? Sure, go. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yes, I am excited. It was in the Terminator movies. Oh, that's right. Oh, are we are we going to talk about fangirling? Can we talk about fangirling? Uh huh. Tell me but more first, of your Terminator fandom. I want to know. First, I want to explain something. I have ADHD, which means that I develop hyper focuses, which are sort of short term special interests, and then I develop special interests, which are sort of more long term things I'm extremely attached to. I started watching the Terminator franchise. Um, this pandemic season, this long, dark march of the soul. And oh my God, y'all. People were like, Sarah Connor's a badass. You're going to love her. She's a role model. You know, Robert Patrick is there. It's great. Nobody, nobody told me it was a movie about a traumatized survivor of violence building her own community with the help of some himbos, one of whom is Michael Bean, a.k.a. Mikey Bean, who is running around in a Vietnam-era trench coat and some little Nikes trying to protect Sarah because he fell in love with her because he saw her picture once during the apocalypse and that was the only good thing in his world. And then Terminator 2 continues the theme with Sarah locked up in a psychiatric institution, John in foster care, Robert Patrick is there as a cop, uh, the Terminator himself is the good guy with the T-100, T-1000 being the bad guy, spoilers. Um, and again, it's about a found family of survivors who go up against both the psychiatric industrial complex and the military industrial complex in order to save humanity. And also Robert Patrick is there. 
and nobody told me this. People were like, it's a great action movie. It's a great movie. Nobody told me there were just a bunch of helpful himbos protecting Sarah Connor, and Sarah Connor doesn't actually need all that much protection. And I am just so attached to these movies. Now, the rest of the Terminator movies, that's pretty much the fandom consensus on it, and I agree. There's some good stuff. Um, like, the guy who played Chekhov in the new Star Wars, Anton... Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but he plays Kyle Reese in one of the movies. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is there or Skynet in one of the movies. Uh, there's some really good shots of nuclear weapons in one of the movies. That's one of my special interests. But we're not going to talk about that in this panel because this is the heartwarming panel, not the heart incinerating panel. Maybe um, it could be both. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, but just sort of to illustrate where you can find heartwarming themes in really fucking weird places. Hi, Jason. Um, the, the themes of the Terminator movie being about mutual aid and community and found family was something that really stuck with me. You know, and we've been Let's talking talk about... about... Sorry. Ahead, sorry. What no, were you going to say? You are going to talk about what? I was, I was going to say, so we were going to talk about fandom, but then you had a question that you wanted to lead into. So I, please- I, like, fan family, uh, this is something that's actually come up a lot. So, in, mm-hmm. again, plus one for, I did talk about Wander Home, but we did a whole summer series about belonging outside belonging. Because these games have are becoming much more common, for lack of any better term, when I was going around playtesting at last year's Metatopia, tons of belonging outside belonging. Rich had very little experience in it. Uh, and the reason I bring it up is found family is often a motif that features in these games, that that's something these games want to lean into is this idea of, all right. Uh, so Great. what of okay, going back to what I was saying with belonging outside belonging, a big theme is found families, these people who get drawn together due to circumstance or community and have relationships with each other that have various degrees of friction, uh, I have some games do it better than others, but I think it's like a great theme to spend some time on uh, and discussing. So what grabs you about found family in terms of heartwarming? Well, this is not an interview, I swear. (laughs) Like many femme gamers, I have problems with my birth family. Imagine that. Wow. So finding people who you can trust and be in your spaces, it's a huge deal for me. And I'm sure it is for you too. Oh, it definitely is. And then the transition of those spaces in terms of, so my situation with my family right now is okay. It was not always okay. It was very strange. And my relationship with my social circles often flickers in and out depending on circumstances. I have definitely found a strong, I know this is a dangerous theme in the US and I have a lot of American friends who dislike this as an idea. I have a very strong found family relationship right now with my colleagues at the pharmacy, Mm -hmm. but we're all sort of victims of circumstance together and we're trying our best. And it's not like we're working for a, we're not working for capitalism. I, it's socialized healthcare in a, slightly socialized country you have comrades i have comrades yes and to uh 
Da. So fandom, uh, I'm going to do an awkward dork out then. So my big thing do it. is I had my fine. awkward dork out. I will do my awkward dork out. Uh, and if you have, if you have paid any attention to my Twitter feed, I'm so, so sorry. So I'm, for long, complicated reasons, I'm a big fan of an anime franchise called Fate, uh, which is very big. And we're not going to really go into this, but there is a short, there is a sub-story in Fate centered around time traveling to uh, Salem, Massachusetts. I'm probably butchering that uh, in the witch trials era. And it's a bunch of dorky historical figures who are pretending to be an acting troupe to try to figure out what catastrophic thing is going on in Salem. Uh, but it's also Cthulhu and Lovecraftian. And if I go too much into that, it's spoilers. But it's a bunch of losers who are put together who hate each other, who are told, you're an acting troupe now. You're going to go on stage and do plays and ignore the fact there is a powerful magical ritual going on around you. It is going to try to start killing you. Uh, it made me cry several Oof. times. But that's been like my happy space in terms of this found family of really dorky, awkward characters that I buy far too many fanzines of now. I haven't seen any fans of Terminator yet, but oh, oh my god, Jack! We should go to Tokyo together. I went to the Western live action section of K Books, and I'm like, what's over here? Where are all these Rogue One fanzines from? The Marvel section was huge. There's like I Marvel. That. Marvel, there was Harry Potter. There was, I bought a bunch of Thunderbirds ones for nice. um, a friend who's a big Thunderbirds fan. That's fun. I, but I did not go looking for Terminator, but I probably should have. I'm sure there's some Terminator stuff there. Anyway, fandom, fandom makes me happy. <laughs> fandom is a little weird for me a lot of the time because I like things fans create. And I like being around creative fans. I struggle as a creator myself being around fans who have a certain belief that they have a right to the work. That's a complicated space. That yep. might be a panel in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's outside of the scope of this panel, unfortunately. I have lots <laughs> of opinions on that, but uh, I, that might I be on the scope. I agree with you. Yes. But I love fandom. Yes. Maybe that's like next year's panel is there like, uh, and I think that's something that does that I think is something we should be talking a little bit more in gaming, not to make yep. this of talking about the relationship of fans of fandom, because we are in a space where there are people who are content creators who are taking games and remixing them and possibly yep. changing what they mean and their content and how they run. Like, Yeah. And it's really interesting when you sort of come to heartwarming games through that um, because there's a lot of games that are horror games that I've sort of reimagined. I haven't written most of them down yet, but like reimagining games in different genres as heartwarming games um, is something that's super fun. Um, my Golden Cobra entry in I think 2000. It was either 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2018. Um, was a cyberpunk heartwarming comedy game called Send Nudes. Yes, the Noodle Shot game. Yes. where you, For those of you who don't know, it's where you play the staff of a uh, rundown ramen shop in a cyberpunk city. And other players basically sort of play NPCs 
who are uh, cyberpunk stereotypes who are coming in during the lunch rush. And it's super cute. Well, I was thinking of uh, talking about cyberpunk in different genres in which that you could put heartwarming games. Again, this leads into my, my professional experience because we brought up in the last panel um, the idea of cyberpunk and augmented humanity and how that often goes to toxic spaces. And thinking about the context of going to positive spaces instead, again, I work in transplant, um, there is the official infrastructure of what goes on in transplant in terms of the units and the teams. There's a lot of unofficial community building and social okay. support that goes on in these spaces. You know, I'll bump into a patient, I'll be like, oh, I didn't know you had a clinic today. And they will reply to me, oh, I'm here as like a social support person for my friend I met at the clinic because we have like Aww. a group on Facebook and they're nervous about this procedure. They just wanted someone to come with them. That's just nice. Yeah, normal. And these people going through not identical experiences, but shared experiences mm. and what those spaces look like. Again, thoughts in terms of interesting places for heartwarming. Um, yeah. You mentioned horror games. Any that you can think of off the top of your head? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Ten Candles obviously has space to be oh my god, pretty easily. There's so much space to be heartwarming in that game. And, like, it's always going to end tragically, but that doesn't mean it's not heartwarming. Yeah, that's what um, I run. What I run Ten Candles, that's I the one also, thing. So, for that, weirdly... Um, You still here? When you, when oh, you I was going to say, you, I think we're desynced from each other slightly. I was going to say, with 10 Candles, it's actually something I tell players when I'm running it. You're all going to die. That's how this ends. We need to look at the emotional spaces leading up to that, because that's where the yep. game actually is. It's not about fighting this eventual thing, because the game tells you you're all dead. Like, there's no way yeah. to really fight against that. But... Again, found family, often a motif. Um, characters who have relationships uh, ended up, you know, either fixing them or coming to conclusions that maybe they're not being repaired ever. <laughs> yep. Um, weirdly, another one is uh, GURPS. There's a GURPS setting. Bear with me. I knew about this setting before I knew about Terminator. So it's called Reign of Steel. It's, God, it's like a 25, 30-year-old setting at this point. And it's a, it's a robot war setting where the robots won and things look terrible for humanity. And instead of like one Skynet, there's 18 and they're <laughs> all fighting each other. But there is space to tell stories of humans surviving and even thriving in this like horrible world that is deeply inimical to them. And one of my favorite types of horror is what I refer to as systemic horror, which is where, not necessarily conspiracy horror, but where the the world is a machine that you are trapped in, more or less, right? And the big bad isn't someone you can just take down personally, but is a system that you have to slowly dismantle piece by piece or just learn to survive under. Because that's not something we've had to deal with in real life or anything. It's been a weird four years. Right? The long my, National Tuesday. My first Metatopia um, was right before that 2016 election. That's a weird timeline to think about. 
That's rough, buddy. It was, uh, that was my worst Metatopia was I was wandering around. I think it was Friday night. It was awful mm -hmm. in Morristown. It has nothing to do with the convention. The convention is fine and lovely. Do not misinterpret that. It's just the, yeah. the tension mm -hmm. in the States on that weekend. The weekend before the Tuesday of the election was not great. Shit. I, yeah. at one point I, I bought a bottle of rum and hid in my hotel room. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, but yeah, no, um, as again, someone with ADHD who is a trauma survivor, I find that horror and heartwarming games tend to skew a lot closer to each other than a lot of people think. Because so much of horror is learning to survive, whereas so much of heartwarming games or Honobono games, as uh, Rach and I refer to them, is um, learning to thrive, mm -hmm. right? And you have to learn how to do both of those things. So finding spaces to, to thrive, finding spaces to be able to be soft and vulnerable and joyful within the midst of these really dark games is something I love and I think is a theme that we can sort of take for playing heartwarming games during a pandemic is they don't all have to be Ghibli movie style games, even though we do love some Ghibli movie style games. Oh, we definitely do. I, I guess the question is what Ghibli movie are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> Nausicaa. Weirdly, yeah, kind Nausicaa. of like a little bit like that now. A little bit, yeah. Uh, people keep telling me that like their favorite movie is... Um, Princess Mononoke, and I, I don't know, it just it is not one of my favorite Ghibli movies. Like, people keep telling me, oh yeah, you'd really like it, and I'm like, no, because the fandom keeps trying to boil down the conflict in that movie to Lady Eboshi versus Mononoke, and that's not how that works. Yeah, I think that movie came out at a formative time for a lot of people, and it yeah. had a really wide distribution and a lot of marketing, so people... Yeah. We're like, what is this magical thing? And then latched on hard. Yeah. Speaking of heartwarming and weird spaces, my favorite Ghibli movie, and this is going to be me being a jerk, is I'm a big fan of the documentary, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is okay, about, okay, so it's the live action documentary of, um, it's the production cycle of The Wind Rises, but Ooh. also Ika, uh, it's not, who's the other, he's since passed. The other director associate with the studio. It's not. I don't remember. Oh, uh, it's not. I might be. It's that other director. Know, look, and, well, <laughs> look I'm gonna up. look him up while you tell me. So anyway, so it's about the production cycle of The Wind Rises and this other director's other film and a lot of the relationships in the studio while also stepping back and looking at the historical context of the studio and people's political and. Uh, um, activist beliefs within the studio and how that informs uh, everything that's going on. And it's sometimes often a little bit crass. It shows a lot of the crassness in Ooh. between these creatives. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, and the, I think it's their producer, uh, Suzuki, I is a fucking underrated goddamn hero who is this one guy who is like micromanaging these creatives and telling people, no, you got to get shit done right now. And this is how you do it. His whole subplot of this documentary is great. Anyway, if nice. you ever want to want to take a step back and feeling like creatively burnt out, which I think is something a lot of us are struggling with and see just people coping and dealing with situations because it was uh, filmed in the aftermath of Fukushima 
in which uh, Miyazaki was uh, grappling with um, the fact that, hey, so the, the nuclear disaster that I was protesting when I was younger, it straight up happened. What do yep. I do about that? Um, great, great documentary. Highly recommend it. The uh, director you were thinking of, by the way, is Isao Takahata. Takahata. Okay. Yes. It was one of his last movies uh, yeah. and the production of that and how it kept getting extended uh, yep. Much like RPG development cycles. <laughs> Don't that. I'm gonna get canceled. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna go to Cancelvania together. <laughs> I want someone to draw fan art of Cancelvania. Well, Cancelvania is on the map between the cold dry place and then reasonable Bitchistan. Okay. So Breezewood. Cold- yeah, exactly. So Cancelvania is where you get Breezewood. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. I live in Breezewood, Pennsylvania now. There you go. Which makes Breezewood. Oh my god! Imagine a heartwarming game in Breezewood. Oh man, yes, totally. Okay, so for our people who have no idea what we're talking about, which we have met through separate interactions or separate life experiences, so Breezewood, Pennsylvania is. You probably know the location a little bit more intimately. I I can think of it as this big intersection of highways going through Pennsylvania where all the truck stops are. It's in the Pocono Mountains. It is basically an unincorporated town made entirely of truck stops. It is just a giant liminal space. There are really, every once in a while, there's a certain meme that gets passed around on social media and the image is clearly Breezewood and anyone who's been to Breezewood is like, wait, that's Breezewood. That's Breezewood. For and, me, and I believe the meme is called American Gothic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for me, like, and going into Honoboto, Breezewood for me is like a landmark driving from Southern Ontario to Orlando. So oh, my, nice. par- my parents would leave at some godforsaken hour, either really late or really early. I don't know when, but that is where sunrise would happen at Breezewood. And that's when you get changed out your PJs in the washroom of the uh, McDonald's. Uh, yep. for your close to the first day. So, like, there's a lot of very strong, like, I know Breezewood is a shithole, <laughs> um, but good feels. And how have yeah. you encountered the mythical place of Breezewood? Uh, Breezewood, the, the mythical place of Breezewood, and I encountered each other um, when, because my, we, we would go through there when my parents would drive us to Ohio to visit relatives, but Breezewood and I really became acquainted when I started going to Gen Con. Mm. Because I live in Delaware, so your your journey through Breezewood is sort of vertical, mine's horizontal. Uh, so we would go through Breeze, because usually we'd leave for Gen Con at around midnight, because uh, that would put us there at around 11 a.m. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we usually, weirdly, mine is also sort of the sunrise thing. We usually get to Breezewood around 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., and that's when you know you're going through the Appalachians. And I love the Appalachians just as a region. Mm-hmm. I love the history and the culture of the Appalachians. There's so much cool mutual aid and labor organizing history in the Appalachians, too. It's actually where we get the term hillbilly from because uh, capitalists were trying to make fun of the Appalachian coal miner organizers. It's also where we get the term redneck from because during the Battle of Blair Mountain, which was a several-day strike-slash-massacre of coal workers uh, in the Appalachians, the strikers wore red bandanas around their necks. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. 
Because I've uh, seen that iconography before. I just didn't know the history of it. Mm -hmm. um, but Breezewood sort of has this weird, like, it's trying to be corporate, but it can't quite get there because of all of the regional culture that's also happening in the space. And, like, there are these big glossy facades and, like, look, you could eat here, you can get gas here, you can get some trucker groceries here, you can spend the night in this motor and whatever. And it's trying to be as um, unoffensively American as possible, right? But it can't quite get there. <laughs> and I love that about it. And I had an idea for a game about Breezewood at one point, which is everybody is a supernatural creature who thinks they're the only supernatural creature in Breezewood and is like trying to get through Breezewood without anybody knowing they're a supernatural creature. Oh man, that's so good. Breezewood is Nexus Point. Oh my God. Yeah. I do, I, going back to the Appalachians, I do actually miss them. One of the, I've been grappling a little bit with some like, just sadness about not traveling to Metatopia this year. And we go through the Appalachians going across Pennsylvania, uh, starting mm -hmm. at like, depending on what route, either going across the southern tier of New York and then heading south or going across the north and then going down through um, Syracuse, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah, either way, you're going through the Appalachians. So And it's, there's just so it's the Appalachians are a hundred percent their own thing. Uh, it's just something yep. I've always lived with as someone who has traveled a lot back and forth, a little bit more context. I was, uh, my parents were Mormon. I was raised Mormon for the longest time. The nearest Mormon temple was actually in Washington, DC. So ah. going across the Appalachians and finding faster routes through the Appalachians was a big deal for Mormons in Southern Ontario. And I know about a bunch of weird quirky towns that have just entered our mythos like Johnsonsburg and uh, which used to have a lot of paper mills downtown and smelt awful stuff like that. It's just, that's part of oddly enough, Southern Ontario Mormon culture. I don't know. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I, I have been missing going to like these truck stops in the middle of the mountains or going through the Poconos where suddenly there's a bunch of family resorts uh, yeah. on one side of the highway. And on the other side of the highway, you have people who are up there for more rustic hunting, camping vacations yep. or lifestyles. Even uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit sad. That's my, my sad heartwarming thing to share for the yeah. moment. So one clearly my... Pennsylvania Gothic. Yeah. <laughs> Pennsylvania Gothic, you've been driving for eight hours. You're still in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you go the long way. The short way isn't that bad. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I drive up through Pennsylvania when I go to Toronto because I have a boyfriend in Hamilton uh, who you know. Yes. And uh, for the people at home who may be watching, I love my boyfriend. He is wonderful. Uh, he is the one of the community managers for Onyx Path Publishing. And he is just lovely. Hello, you. Um, but I drive up uh, through the Poconos because the Poconos are actually part of the Appalachians because the greater Appalachians included the Alleghenies in New York and the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Um, they're all part of the same sort of fault line mountain system. And it's just... There, there's all these little things along the road that really catch your attention. Like when you go up um, the I-76 in Phil in uh, Pennsylvania, just north of Philly, um, 
as you're heading towards Allentown, there is a series of cell phone towers, right? But they look like the, the Lance of Longinus from Evangelion, just sort of oh my sticking God. up. And it's very hard to not get distracted by them, especially at night, because it's just like, that's cool. And, like, then you pass through Allentown, and if you're anything like me, you like Billy Joel, and you know the song Allentown is actually mm-hmm. about Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, but, mm-hmm. like, then, of course, there's, you know, there's so much you can do with, like, small-town decay that can still be really heartwarming. Uh, Centralia, very famous for extreme uh, social decay. <laughs> there, I think there's only, like, 13 people living in Centralia right now because of the coal fire. That's also an interesting story if you have time to Google today. Uh, lots yes. of YouTube videos on that. It's so cool. Um, I stayed with another one of my partners uh, for my birthday. We got a, an Airbnb, which was in the guest house of a lovely uh, Mennonite family um, near Burden Hand, Lancaster. And driving around through Amish country in Lancaster County and looking at all of the little roadside stands and buying a pie from some nice Amish girls in a roadside stand. And like, that was an amazing experience. Just ignoring all of the shops and all of the buildings and just going around to different families' farms and picking up goat milk and goat cheese and duck eggs. It, it hardcore felt like Stardew Valley which is probably the whitest, most suburban thing I'm going to say today. But It reminds me a little bit of, um, I, never, I had not realized how regional that experience was until mm-hmm. uh, last year. Like, I live in Southern Ontario. That's always been the practice. Like, if you can go into rural Southern Ontario, there are roadside stands where you go and you leave money and you pick up stuff. That's just yeah, how good, it good works. Yeah, good stands. Yeah, good faith says that's not so much like partner Rob is from Saskatchewan does not mm-hmm. happen out there, even though that's also peak farming country. So they're all suspicious we, of you out there. Yeah, but they're also very they, Saskatchewan culture is weird. And that's a whole panel in, of, in and of yep. itself. <laughs> um, we drove from the top of the Bruce Peninsula, just south of Tobamori, all the way down to the shores of Lake Erie. And we passed by so many of these stands. And he fought, my partner fought it was a one-off and then another one happened and another right. one happened. And then we hit, we went down one road where it was a price war for maple syrup because of course nice. it is because Canada. Uh, it's details so like fun. that. Now I was thinking, because we're talking a little bit about travel and our travel experiences and heartwarming. Remember places. Remember places. Do you have good you examples go of, admittedly, we are both white uh with various uh different complicating factors i'm part roma on my mom's side so but i pass as white um yeah we are looking at this from a very north american lens can you think of i'm not sure what your experiences with international travel heartwarming travel experiences from other countries yes um so i actually lived in china for three months Mm mm-hmm and one of my favorite things was when we'd go into a restaurant that wasn't in the tourist district and people would get so excited because, oh, my God, a white people. And then they'd realize that you didn't know how to speak Chinese. So they'd bring you they'd point to pictures on a menu. That's like, so cool. Want this. Yeah, that was fun. Um, 
a bunch of a bunch of uh, Buddhist nuns wanted to take pictures with my husband and rub his belly because my husband is large, and they mm -hmm. were like, "Ah, oh, yes, you have the large Buddha belly. Therefore, we would like to rub your tummy for good luck." Um, like I, uh, one of my favorite places in Chengdu was Jingli Street, which is this. God, it's only like the 700 year old market street. And like in Chengdu, you're surrounded by all of these ultra modern office buildings and apartment complexes. And sometimes it just goes into like very clearly um, low income housing. And like people are patching things with like corrugated iron and whatnot. Um, but Jingli Street in the, is like surrounded by the, like these 40 story buildings and full of like whatever. And then you just have this tiny little historical street that's full of market stalls and candy and Chinese opera that you can watch from like the balcony. Like you can pay for a seat, but you can also stand outside and watch from the doors or you can watch on the screens they have outside. And you know, they have little restaurants and little craft shops. And it was probably one of my favorite places in Chengdu. It was just this beautiful little imperial Chinese market street. That's so cool. Yeah. Also, uh, Chengdu is where they breed pandas. They breed endangered pandas. So we got to go to the, the panda exhibit, which is about 25 minutes outside of Chengdu. And like they had peacocks walking around. And I love peacocks. As anybody who knows me knows, I love peacocks. But they also had, like, essentially a giant courtyard where they put all of the baby pandas so they could be so, so they could socialize. So you'd see, like, baby pandas just sort of, like, hanging in tree branches and yelling. <laughs> and, like, one of them fell down and just rolled down the hill. And, like, I swear to God, baby pandas are made out of rubber because they just... They, they, it fell like six feet, and it was like ah, and then it just rolled down the hill, and it was cute. And then they have like this, God, this something like a hundred and twenty acre preserve for red pandas too. And They're they adorable. have the signs. Yeah, they have the signs in Chinese and in English, and I'm sure it is somewhat less, uh, somewhat less unintentionally charming in Chinese, but it says, uh, in English, it says, the red panda, he has sharp teeth. Please do not give him cause to bite you. And so, like, you're on, you're on a path, which is surrounded by a fence, right? But it's not like an overarching fence. So the red pandas can actually come onto the path, but you can't go into their habitat, right? Okay. So, um my mother-in-law was walking down the path with us and this red panda just jumps onto her shoe and goes meh and walks away well it proved its point yeah ah. okay buddy and i miss travel so much <laughs> do you remember places i remember places i remember airports Oh god, I hate airports. Can't do airports. Oh, I, I, I appreciate airports very strongly. They do bring up like a really strong, heartwarming feeling for me, and I cannot mm -hmm. articulate why. I just have mystical adventures in airports that don't make sense. 
fine. Never, we're allowed, you are allowed to have a liminal numinous association with airports, much like I do with rest stops at 2 a.m. Oh, I, I get rest stops at 2 a.m. I think it feeds into my uh, my heartwarming feelings for uh, 1970s, 80s mall design. That make, Oh, my God. That's so good, though. Atrium oh, spaces. Uh huh. So, so last, uh, last time we did this panel, um, we talked a little bit about how vaporwave can be sort of a heartwarming thing because it just makes you feel it's weird because it's, it is both a critique of, uh, super capitalist culture, but it's also really heartwarming in a way. Yeah. And that complicated emotional space, I think is really the design goal i know speaking for myself i like yeah. going to which is it's not ignorant of all the complicated cultural ties to this thing that's making us happy yeah. but also the thing he, that's making us happy is here yeah um i think a good example actually of this aesthetic is uh lucian khan's game visigoths versus molgoths yes which is excellent and you all should play it it's very very funny and it's also incredibly heartwarming and you will have a good time. It. You will have such a good time. Um, but yeah, I think I think the I think a good place because we're like we have like ten minutes left. Um, but yeah, gaming of any kind in this in this time can actually be really heartwarming because it does allow you to sort of not fake traveling, but sort of almost replicate an experience of traveling. It allows you to be outside of the four walls of where you're quarantining. And that's a so, huge deal. So this is the point where I bring up the dangerous uh, line, according to my therapist, because this is something I've talked about with my therapist, uh, is that she said that's where she's finding a lot of creative people are going because it's easy to get stuck on us being trapped within a... Mm -hmm a space, a building, I make it a point not to leave my house unless I have to. I do have to go to work every day. So that pressure is a little bit alleviated. But at the same time, I've been doing, God help me, I've been doing writing projects. I wrote like a 20K no fanfic novella this summer nice. because it made me happy. Uh, and I'm working on doing um, other creative projects in terms of painting and writing. Uh, and then I bumped into one of my colleagues who is also a creative who was, while running uh, there's blister packs, which are medications that break down yeah. your meds by day and by dose. He's running the blister packing machine, but he had classical music on loop because he's trying to teach himself pieces of classical music that's as so a creative cool. project because that's his outlet. And I think you're spot on thinking about going on these creative journeys as not a replacement, but a way to project that energy, I guess. Yeah. And like I, you mentioned your therapist, I've been going on therapeutic journeys. Like I have set up so many boundaries with people that I would have not otherwise set up if I didn't have all of this free time and space to think about what sort of boundaries I want to have and what sort of people I want to allow into my life. Mm -hmm. And like, normally I'm very easy with my boundaries. I'm like, oh, everyone come in. But the truth is I'm incredibly prickly and it's sometimes letting too many people in is very harmful for me. So, like, I'm just sitting here hiding behind my little jack lantern being like, um, maybe I don't want you in my space today, but maybe I do want you in my space today. And sort of being able to do that with projects as well, or, or even games being like, actually, I don't want to play that game, I want to play this game, 
and being able to allow myself space to figure out what I actually want is a weird gift that COVID has sort of given me. I don't think you're alone in that observation. I've also noticed other things in terms of this being a hard stop because there is always a subconscious urge for me to always be on the forefront of something. This is an after effect of being a community organizer, having to know everything. And then to a certain extent, being a podcaster and having to know everything. Otherwise you look like a fool and that's not cool. Um, But then having more autonomy to say, I don't care about this thing. I'm going to focus on these things I genuinely care about, or I don't want to be involved in the project because there's a less pressure to keep up with the Joneses as it were. Yep. Mm-hmm. So on I that see, note, do we have questions? Hey, Melissa, do we have, yeah. I'm glad we, I'm glad we thought of that at the same time. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you, but you do have a couple of questions here. Uh-oh. Okay. Mostly you have people just being really excited about what you're saying, but uh, let me, hey. let me go here. Um, so well, if you want to tell us nice things after the panel, that would be cool too. Yeah, that'd be a good decompression. Um, So the first question I'm seeing is, have there been any new heartwarming games released recently or this year that have caught your eye? Wander Home for sure. Yes, that one. I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic by Caro Sension is very, very good. And I strongly recommend purchasing it off their AGO. I'm going to do that after this panel. Do it. It's something like eight bucks for this book. Well, but shipping. True. All right. Tell us about Wanderhome. I I enjoyed Wanderhome. I did an interview with uh, Jay for the podcast. It's currently, there might be a draft release. I I got a copy of the draft for the interview. So I don't know if that's out in public. It's uh, belonging outside belonging, but you're a group of wandering adventurers in a landscape that is recovering from war and cultural trauma but it hasn't fully healed yet and you're cute little animal people which is always fun uh that would stand also every single year people ask me what is happening in pbta space that you want to see but or sorry rather what do you want to see in pba to pbta space or powered by the apocalypse space that you haven't seen and it's always heartwarming stuff Uh, also, if you're into sort of card-based role-playing games, it's kind of a combination. It's called Cinder. Uh, it is by my husband and his friend. You date dragons. So cute. That is what it's about. Next question. Next question. Uh, how do you make unheartwarming games way more heartwarming? Okay, you seem like you have question. a good idea. Okay, so we were talking about found family and relationships earlier. The single easiest way to make an unheartwarming or bleak game more heartwarming is to focus on positive relationships between characters and how they help each other survive and thrive in a tyrannical or even dystopian environment. Let them talk about how they feel. Yes. Oh, God, please let them talk about how they feel. Do a slow burn. That's a great way to be heartwarming. Like today's really shitty. Do you want to talk about that? Let's. When I read Ryotama, Ryotama has this uh, when you wake up in the morning stat check, and it can either be a really boring stat check where you roll the dice and you roll, you realize how cranky or how happy you are. But then as a GM, you're like, but why? Why do you can, feel that way? Can you wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy? Well, you could if you wanted to. 
got your glasses out the door again. Sorry. Anyway. Next question. Um, so it looks like I think those are the main questions we have on here, uh, though I have put a request if anyone has any last minute questions, please do so um, uh, for comments that people made that you might want to uh, riff off of one. The most important comment, in my opinion, is that both of your hair accessories are warming my heart already. <laughs> I think right. That that was a that was a comment, uh, which I very important with. Jack Very suggested important. I wear these. I did. Uh, I was like, I'm going to dress up in Lolita for this panel. It's very important. I have a rainbow hoodie. It's very cute. You do. It goes well with the ears. Do we have any more important comments about the aesthetic choices of this panel? Um, uh, not about the aesthetic choices. Many people uh, uh, also know about Breezeway, Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, and there was a uh, some comments uh, about other um, heartwarming games that other people are playing. Um, Meta Paradox uh, says that they're working on a belonging outside belonging game about a team of dimension hopping magical girls, but I, they did not put the title in there. Um, That's really cool. Olivia, that, that is Olivia, and Olivia did tell me about this. Hello, and I am so glad to hear you're still working on it. I'm very excited about that game. Yeah, uh, Olivia, if you can hear this, please put the information in chat. Um, and let's see, I'm just checking to see. Uh, okay, we got another question here. How? Do you, yeah, and this is probably the last one given our time limit. Uh, okay. But how do you keep intense emotions from overwhelming the game? Why? That's... um phrased in a way that I don't know if I would phrase it that way. Um, so please, please forget my Terminator reference here, but why? <laughs> I think, like, because it reminds me a lot of, so my background before being involved with tabletop role-playing was actually an online freeform role-playing, and there was a lot of concern about this. And where I had learned the term bleed initially was in that context, and that context, it's very negative, or was at the time. So this would have been like the early to mid 2000s. Like mm -hmm. it was, you did not want to encourage bleed because bleed got in the way and overwhelmed the gameplay. Um, so thinking about it from that perspective, if there is a concern about overwhelming emotions directing the way the game is going and it making it less fun for others, Use a, I would either encourage you to use a safety tool to sort of disrupt play or stop play, but also check in with the players and talk about those feelings. Because um, I'm going to go along. Sometimes I found with online role playing, and this goes a little bit into tabletop, you can get toxic feedback loops where someone is getting like an emotional payoff that is a little bit problematic and maybe hurtful to another player. But it's really hard to bring that up because you don't want to disrupt someone else's fun. Um, so I, I don't know if you necessarily want to look at it as like overwhelming the emotions, overwhelming the game more than disrupting the enjoyment other players are having. And then that is kind of a, has to go into soft skills for resolving. Yeah. And like, I, I say this all the time, but talk to your players, please. I beg of you, you're ostensibly friends hopefully, or if you're at a convention table, yes, use a safety tool because it is a very quick and deliberate way of establishing a common language for resolving conflicts. But with your friends, just talk to your friends, please. 
Uh, we've all been there. We're, we're like, we thought this was fun and now I'm feeling sad. So it's not bad to have that as an experience. It's just a question of how you want to walk through it. Yeah. Uh, and I believe, yeah. I believe right. it's time. Well, we will do our uh, goodbyes and where you can find us. Uh, Rach, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, so you can find me uh, or my podcast at Plus One Forward. Just search it, any podcast app you're using. Uh, the blog is outside blogging uh, episodes, which were fairly recently. It will be back in the summer. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, which is me talking about gaming and also other nerd stuff at Ted Dog. So T-E-D-D-O-G. And Jax, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to find me, my link tree is linktree.com slash rufflejax. That is R-U-F-F-L-E-J-A-X. I am also on Twitter as rufflejax and Instagram and TikTok if you feel like finding me on TikTok. Um, my website is jacquelinebrick.design. I will be dropping that in the Metatopia Discord as well as my link tree. Uh, if you need to find me anywhere else, um, I'm on Twitch as Rufflejax. Again, that's R-U-F-F-L-E-J-A-X. Uh, you can message me on Twitch and ask for the links if you're not on the Metatopia Discord. Um, but that's where you can find me most of the time. Yes, and come back next year for the fourth anniversary heartwarming fourth panel. anniversary panel. Oh my maybe god! Maybe in person. Maybe in person. It's maybe. almost old enough to go to preschool. It's so small, but so big. I'm so proud of it. All right, we're gonna let our producers take us off. But thank you so much for joining us, y'all. Yes, thank and we'll you. See you next year. <laughs>